This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Hello, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Come on down and jump over this shit. can't always have Sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies from first-time directors, indie films, art house, and much, much more. Today on the podcast, we talk the 1973 crime drama, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, directed by Peter Yates, starring Robert Mitchum, Peter Boyle, and Richard Jordan. And special guest star Mo Green is Jimmy Scalise. After his last crime, <laughs> after his last crime, as him looking at a long prison sentence for repeat offenses, a low-level Boston gangster decides to snitch on his friends to avoid jail time. I'm Gabe Vinandal, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined, as always, by veteran podcaster and editor Alan Martindale. And we're joined by special guest and veteran podcaster, writer, and host of the Dread Media Podcast, Desmond Reddick. How the hell hey. are you guys? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Dude, Thanks for being on. When you say, uh, so I, I'm veteran podcaster. Des is like super veteran podcaster. <laughs> like You have a decade. I've got a decade. a decade and a half. Yeah, he's like, he, he's kicking everyone. I mean, <laughs> I think he invented podcasting. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm, I'll be happy to uh, let the two of you decade plus podcasters no i'm one year deep now that's good man it, it's a it's a, nice. a tick mark. nice uh, 14 more to go i will say this before we get started <laughs> uh i i met desmond because i was a fan of his podcast um dread media i think is fantastic anyone who's in anyone who listens to this show knows you know i'm, I'm a big horror fanatic and desmond does a show that that really i mean breaks down every type of horror you could ever expect um I love it so much that I am actually a patron and I definitely recommend going and checking out his show. It's fantastic. And so Desmond, we're obviously like super stoked to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so Alan, much. Wait, wait I a appreciate minute. Wait that. a minute. Alan likes horror films. I know. Just... Weird, right? Okay. No one would have guessed <laughs> that. I know it's crazy. Uh, but also uh, Des, you know, before we jump into the movie, you're a writer too. Uh, I know you've got uh, one novel out, two novels out. Uh, one novel, yeah. I've got two two novels completed, but one novel's okay. out. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about it? I'm interested to know what they're about. What's that novel that's out uh, right now? What's that about? Well, well I'd, I'd, uh, I just started writing what I thought was going to be my first finished polished novel, and then I got this opportunity to pitch a novel in a shared universe called uh, Monster Earth that's put out by Mechanoid Press. And uh, they had, well, yeah, they still have two anthologies and they were looking for pitches uh, for something that sort of bridges the two anthologies together. And the Monster Earth universe takes place in a world where uh, there, there wasn't any uh, nuclear armaments race. Instead, countries use giant monsters to fight each other. As such, such a good pr premise. So, such a good premise. It's great. Yeah. I loved it. So um, 
mine uh mine's called uh mother of abominations a monster earth novel and it is well it's basically it's sort of like my look at the troubles in ireland and ira style terrorism and um well basically it's about a young terrorist girl who is well he she she's going to summon the Loch Ness monster to fight a giant griffin in London, essentially, and and, and I, that's like the, the near the end of the book, but it's on the cover, so it's not really a spoiler. But I think it's I think it's kind of fun. I, I like to call it. Uh, it's got like some, some occult stuff, and Aleister Crowley's in there, and I like to call it uh, the Devil Writes Out meets uh, what is that one called? The Devil, uh, the Brad Pitt uh, uh, shit, Robert Redford. Oh man, I have no I idea. It. The IRA movie can't remember what it is. Is can't it Brad either. Pitt? Even I can't remember. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've got that out. I'm working on a nonfiction book right now, and uh, I still have you... a second novel done. But that sounds amazing. No plans I mean, yet. You had me locked in at uh, Loch Ness. I was uh, <laughs> interested in in the mystery behind that, and then Griffin. You combine those two things, and that's a, a killer combination. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if you know, but Aleister Crowley had a house that overlooked Loch Ness. Oh, yeah, it, didn't they sell that house? Or uh, it's been sold a couple times. Jimmy Page owned it once. That's right. I, that's right. I, I, I think that the story goes that he arrived home to see to see his guitar sitting in a guitar stand, and the guitar itself began playing the opening riff for "Stairway to Heaven." Nice. I, I mean, that was much- his story. Every every good rock and roll story, every every good um, occult story has something to do with Aleister Crowley. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but of course, to. of course, Jimmy Page was probably on acid, and <laughs> it may have been a story that he uses to cover up the fact that he stole the riff from Stairway to Heaven from another band. But <laughs> but uh, it's a I don't fun think story. there's a probably in there. He <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most definitely. <laughs> That, that that movie you were talking about is Spy Game. Oh no, I wasn't okay. I wasn't thinking of Spy Game. It's oh, okay. the, it, it it has the devil I was thinking in Redford it. And, and Brad Pitt. I might have I might have the actors completely mixed up. Well, I didn't even digress. know. That's okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, I didn't even know they were in a movie together. I, yeah, I Spy remember Game, Spy Game's actually fun. I, I kind of like Spy Game. Yeah, Spy Game's a good movie. I I actually quite enjoy it. Well, speaking of uh, of movies that I've never heard of before, I've never even heard. I was just going to say of the friends of Eddie Coyle before. Uh, I don't know how I haven't heard of this film because <laughs> it's got some great actors in it. It's got a, a good story and it seems like one of those seventies movies that people would remember. But for some reason I've just, I never even heard of it. And so uh, Desmond, you know, we asked you to pick a movie and you, right. <laughs> you chose this one. So maybe you can give us a little uh, background and, and tell us uh, what made you go with this one. Well, uh, I saw this as a kid. Uh, I saw a lot of movies as a kid with my grandfather on just like blank VHS tapes that he'd taped off of television. And like for like since I was like three or four, I was watching all these movies with him. And it's where I got my love of horror, you know, like universal movies and stuff. Uh, like I thought I was the only kid on earth that had ever seen House of Frankenstein. I'm like, this movie, no one's ever seen it. And then, you know, I got old enough to pick up a magazine and i'm like oh okay everyone's in this one <laughs> but uh, uh along with that i um 
I developed a love for noir and crime films. And like to this day, like a touch of evil is my all time favorite movie, I think. Um, and, you know, Maltese Falcon and Angels with Dirty Faces and stuff and always loved it. And I always loved Robert Mitchum. And this movie, uh, The Friends of Eddie Coyle was on one of those tapes. Uh, and Mitchum always sort of reminded me of my grandfather as well. So um, I've probably seen it probably a, a dozen times, I guess. I just, why did I choose this one? I know I gave you guys like two options. One, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm the horror podcast guy. So if someone invites me on to talk about any movie that I want, I'm like, oh, I want to watch something that's not horror. Because <laughs> I, I can do that anytime. But uh, so I just, uh, yeah, I just wanted to watch this one again. It's been, I don't know, probably two years since I've seen it. And I just think it's the greatest collection of character actors that has ever existed on screen, along with one of the greatest actors that's that's ever, you know, Absolutely. ever done it. Robert Mitchum is, uh, you, you know, he's a wild man and, uh, you know, a, a legit ass kicker and a legit tough guy. But uh, man, that guy... The guy draws the camera like very few people does, you know, and this is such a quiet movie. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. In it. And the thing to me is, is similarly to Alan, you know, I consider myself a movie buff and I love 70s Americana in terms of film, Serpico, French yeah. Connection, uh, of course, The Godfather. And then right. you look at something like, you know, The Conversation or Taxi Driver. And I've never heard of this movie. Really, eh? It, Never heard of it. And Gabe, one more thing, Criterion Collection. And yeah. as I, that's the other <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> yeah. like Gabe, Gabe always, cho I, I choose the depraved movies. Gabe chooses the Criterion <laughs> Collection movies. Right, right. So, so Desmond, I'm, I'm, as soon as that comes up and I start getting the tone of the film, I'm super stoked. I'm yeah. like, Desmond chose a champion in this film, right? Here. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I think maybe why it's not so popular is that it's essentially bloodless. Like it's not, you know, it's not Scarface. Um, you know, even Godfather ends with a very, very bloody killing. And there's, you know, plenty of examples of, of violence and uh, the aftermath of violence uh, in that movie as well. But there's just what there's one person gets shot well, two people get shot and one person gets a gun to the back of the head just like to, to knock him out. And I think that's all the violence in the movie. Yeah, it feels like there's that one bank shooting and that's the most violent of them all in terms yeah. of if, if seeing any kind of blood or gore. And so I wonder how Alan even got through it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Well, I, it did it did kind of build. It made it more impactful when you did see the violence because uh, it, it's really when you see these guys, every interaction that these guys have, whether it's the gun runner or it's the bank robbers or it, even Robert Mitchum's um, interactions with uh, with Jackie Brown, the gun runner. Yeah. Uh, e all of them are very it. It's very tense, even though they don't play up the tenseness, if that makes any sense. Like you can tell that these are dudes who would not hesitate to get crazy if they need to. And so right. there's always that lingering threat kind of in the back of your mind. And so, and it's almost like it's pretty suspenseful without really going over the top and beating you over the head with it. And then it just makes the violence like that more, um, 
I guess, realistic and more impactful. I mean, it's not like super depressing. I mean, the guy in the bank gets shot and they just kind of shrug it off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it just makes you it makes you just feel I don't know. There's just there's a tense. There's a tenseness there that's not over the top. But but they also don't fetishize the violence either. Right. Right. Like, killed the guy and uh and they're like what the fuck and he's like well you know he hit the button and blah 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 or whatever and that's that's kind of it they're like okay it's business right but they're they are like pissed at first but in like a different movie you know he was swung the swung the gun around at everybody else and said anyone moves they're gonna lose their fucking head or whatever you know there's like like there it's actually like a coarse film there is like a lot of uh cursing and and stuff like that but there's not there's not a lot of terrorizing yeah, there's absolutely not. One of the things that in the beginning of the film, too, that I loved, Desmond, was it's it's very kind of long winded in its presentation at yeah. the start. And it's which makes it very 70s. And then when you enhance that with that 70s musical tone, that jazz have, score, man, it's so yes, good. <laughs> the score is I love it. And it's so on the nose where you have the bank president. And then all of a sudden, as soon as you cut to the villain, the musical tone changes entirely, but I love yeah. the on the nose kind of musical presentation of it. What did you guys think about the the score throughout? I loved it. It was great. Like it, it, it it's weird to watch this movie for the first time in, in 2020 because I'm looking at it through the context of like Tarantino films and uh, even like uh, Ocean's Eleven and, and stuff like that. So like I'm thinking it's going to be one thing based on what has come in recent history and it's it's a totally different thing but i loved it because they could have gone way again they could have gone over the top with it and they didn't yeah i I think probably part of that uh not knowing exactly what you're in for i did call it a heist movie and i kind of winced after i sent sent those messages later i'm like it's not a heist movie it's it's got heists in it but really it's just about a couple days in the life of a lot of very shady individuals who are, I don't know, they, uh, they they sort of run into each other all the time through the their their work as near do wells. You know, you've you've got the middleman who buys guns from a gun runner to sell the guns to these guys he knows who rob banks, and then you've got this shady ass bartender who is just sort of at the crux of everything. And uh, sort of overseeing the bar where they, you know, where the uh, middleman and the and the thieves like to hang out. And it's just uh, no one's a good person in this movie. Everyone is just kind of vile, but they're also not evil. They're just guys who know how to do one thing really well. <laughs> so I mean, I, and, yeah, no, absolutely. I hate, the thing to me too is like I hate drawing comparisons to modern film, but there there is a little bit of tone tonality of like the town where you have i'm not just comparing it because it's the same city of boston but you know these characters that just kind of are going about things as if it's just business and it's just this is what we do and we're slinging guns and we're going and doing robberies and we're doing all these and there's a little tonality there between that and that modern film by ben affleck which is the town i don't know if you guys sensed any of that or if i'm way off base no Totally. I mean, uh, the friends of Eddie Coyle is is the granddaddy of of the town and the departed. And, you know, there's this sort of like, I guess, subgenre of Boston based crime films. And I think uh, I think it's like the blue collar aspect of it. If, right. If, and, yeah. yeah. It, it feels like it would be like an early Scorsese film. 
Sure. Yeah. Like it. Uh, I. I don't know. We did actually on this podcast watch Scorsese's first film. It's awful. I don't know if you've seen it. Look who's knocking at my door. It's god awful. No, I haven't. I haven't. Don't don't bother. It's a waste of time. <laughs> Gabe Allen right. says no, and even I say partially no. I mean, <laughs> it's terrible. But it, it it does kind of feel like it might be a, a Scorsese film where he's kind of polishing that style. Like it, there's a lot of um, similarities, like Taxi Driver and obviously The Departed. It feels it feels very much in that ilk. Right. And and they're sharing Peter Boyle. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> did, right. did Peter Boyle ever have hair? I don't no. think so. Because like, he was born bald like all babies. <laughs> and he just grew and it out on the in the back it, and on the side. Yeah, it just never grew on top, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. It it's looks even, great. He's a taxi driver too. So uh there's a there's a little bit of a connection there. You mentioned taxi driver and it was like, okay, well, they've got a, a similar actor. Right. Yeah. Same actor. Well, it's a funny Peter Boyle story. I've already mentioned my grandfather. This is a weird aside. I think I've mentioned it on Dread Media before, but um my grandfather liked to watch TV. Uh, you know, he was a vet and he always had bad knees and stuff. Um, th- but uh, the last movie he saw in theater, you know, if you asked him if he wanted to go to a movie, he'd say the last movie I saw in the theater was Patton. The next movie I go and see in the theater will be Patton 2. <laughs> still waiting on that one <laughs> yeah and uh so that was something that he said several times throughout my childhood and then i don't know i'm 19 or something and i turn on tv i never watched ev- uh everybody loves raymond is that what it's called yeah everybody loves raymond where peter peter boyle plays uh ray's dad yep and like, i'd never watched a full episode before but i was just flicking around on the TV and I, I stopped on it and cause, cause Peter Boyle was on screen. I'm like, ah, Peter Boyle. And then, and I, I think I didn't even think I know that he was in that show. Like that's how little I'd seen of it. And, uh, and this, I stopped and th- that this line of dialogue came up. Ray says, Hey dad, you want to go see a movie? And Peter Boyle said, the last movie I saw in the theater was Patton. The next movie I see in the theater will be Patton too. Oh, no way. No <laughs> and way. I, and I damn near blacked out. Like, like, I, I, like it freaked me out. Now, maybe it's just a thing that old guys said. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> so right. Maybe that's it, but it fucked me up. So uh, I, I have a lot of love for Peter Boyle as well. And of course, young Frankenstein, like it's, it's kind of amazing. So He's he, the, the range he has. Cause you don't, you don't think of him as a range actor, but he can go from goofy uh, like young Frankenstein and, and, you know, the bits and pieces I've seen from everybody loves Raymond. And, and then also he, like, I remember him from the X-Files from the one episode he did on the X-Files, which was fantastic. I don't I'm know if you've seen that. it. I can't remember I, what it's called. I'm blinking on that too. I was, I'm pretty, pretty he, big. X-Files he won guy. an Emmy for it. It's like, it's his, it he really, just, eh? Holy shit. It's I gotta, a, I gotta look that it's a guest role. And it's just a one episode thing where he's like a psychic who can see people's death and he's so good in it, but he's kind of a little quirky, but a little dark. And then you see him in this and he's, he's menacing at times, but he's also <laughs> very comforting. And it's, I just, you don't think of Peter Boyle as a range guy, but he really does have it. I mean, I do always right. think, and, and you mentioned this Desmond, but I always think of young Frankenstein. Yeah. That's one that, oh, I mean, in, in everybody, right. But if you look at his list of credits, and Alan always likes to do this to me, which is like, guess how many credits this guy has? We, we compare it to actor. Samuel L. Jackson. So Samuel <laughs> right. L. Jackson has 
200 plus, Alan? Is that what I it think is? so? Yeah, I'm gonna look it up right now. <laughs> and Peter Boyle's got quite a few too. He's at 96 credits uh, as an actor from 1966 to 2009. Yeah, wild. That's wild. working. All I love the that. Time. I love that tie-in that you have to your grandfather. I think that's so cool. I always, I'm always interested in in uh, in how people see a film or watch a TV show, and then how it has a personal tie-in to their life in some way. So that one in particular is extremely strong. Right. Because it's yeah. like grandpa said this <laughs> and then Peter Boyle said yeah. That's wild. It is wild. It's insane. So this movie, it's a little bit more difficult to walk through just because it feels like there's um it, it just it feels like a lot of vignettes going on. Right. Uh but so we, we kinda like to walk through it, but I think I think what we can do is is kind of explore the different storylines going on. Um obviously you have uh the main storyline um with Robert Mitchum. And he's about to go to prison for, I think he's going to do two or three years. And for it's, I think it was a, a truck heist or a cargo heist or something along those lines. He was driving a truck. Um, uh, he, he was transporting bottles of Canadian club. So I think it was maybe stolen booze. Okay. Or something. That, sound, yeah. that sounds right. Desmond is our expert Canadian. So he knows. <laughs> yeah, he knows. Uh, his, his role kind of reminds, because Robert Mitchum is and. Des, you said this where he the camera just loves him and it, and it yeah. really he grabs your attention. But his role in this, it's similar. It's not the same, but it reminds me almost of Al Pacino in, in Donnie Brasco because it's like you think of Al yeah. Pacino and you think of a leading man like the guy who's, you know, he, he's a he, he's Michael Corleone, you know, like he, he's he's the, the guy. He's, he's the guy in charge. But in Donnie Brasco, he's he's an underling. Yeah. And so it's kind of feels the same way, whereas uh, Robert Mitchum's definitely a tough guy. And you can see him. He can throw his weight around if he needs to. He can intimidate if he needs to. But really, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, he's kind of an underling. Yeah. There's a scene in there at the beginning that I love so much. His acting is so good where he's talking about it's the cafe scene. And he's talking and, and he's given the idea about the knuckles and he's talking yeah. about how the knuckles and. I love, and, and Desmond, I'm sure, can appreciate this because he's a writer, but I love when there's, it's, to me, it's a prime example of like really good writing. Yeah. Where you give the level of exposition, but you don't just say things. You give stories to convey the exposition. Yeah. And he's telling this story about how he went through the heist or went through the, 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 the transfer of the booze or whatever it was. And, and, and he got caught and they, the guys that, that caught him put his hands in the drawer and slammed his hands in the drawer. And have you ever heard the knuckles cracking and all this kind of <laughs> stuff? And, and so you're getting the exposition, but you're getting it in a really good kind of, and Alan mentioned this before, you're getting it in a really good kind of vignette of a story that's in and of itself separate. I love it. I love yeah. that little delivery. And his delivery is amazing. Yeah, so great. That, that dialogue is word for word from the novel as well. Have oh you? well, that's that. That makes more sense to me then too, because I I put in my little notes here, which is that writing is I I love that writing. I think it's great. And and the way they deliver it, it's it's funny because it is like the the you know it's it is right from the novel, but I I feel like the pacing of the dialogue in this movie is almost too fast at times. Like there's zero time to react. Like they just they pitter patter back and forth really quickly, getting through a lot of really great dialogue at a really fast pace. <laughs> I, I'm glad like, you said that. It, do, it doesn't feel rushed, but I was struggling to keep up at times. Yeah. Yeah. Like these guys, yeah, they just, it's, it's, it's sort of like 
just a bunch of motor mouths in in one movie and they're not waiting for each other like they're <laughs> i don't know it's like the next guy starts talking the moment the period is you know is mentally seen on the page right it's just like back and forth back and forth back and forth and uh and especially that scene uh that that you said there gabe is just it, it's 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 probably the first real moment of um of acting in the film that is uh like profoundly great and it yeah, really, that's the other thing is go ahead alan i was just gonna say it really just sets the tone for what's gonna come too mm-hmm. yeah i was gonna say like the, the his performance there there's a it, it, there's two things and alan hears me say this all the time but i always feel like you can take a, a good piece of dialogue and really kind of mess it up and based on how you perform it and based on how you kind of exude the character but i think mitchum's so good there it just it kind of kind of just strengthens that whole that whole piece of dialogue but the writing's so good it's, i kept putting in my notes and not to sound like a broken record but man i just felt like and i'm not a screenwriter like i'm an editor and a producer but i don't really write i like writing as a hobby but i'm not a writer and i just kept putting in my notes man the writing is so good yeah it's great it's great and it is like the story is is fragmented right there's no clear like you don't really get a full story from any of these guys really um but you're getting this sort of snippet and you know you're seeing a real rundown um tough guy and eddie coyle you know you're seeing a hot shot kid who you know thinks he can sell guns to anybody um who's also like pretty derisive of of younger well i mean like these hippies want to buy machine guns from him and he's he thinks it's funny he's like these fucking hippies want machine guns right <laughs> and then I you got to figure that out i'm like wait a minute where did these where do they come from what <laughs> yeah yeah from 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 like a converted ice cream truck apparently i don't know <laughs> all the way from san francisco <laughs> <laughs> with some flowers in their hair to buy some m16s to rob a bank yes uh and and then you got these like work a day uh like bank robbers that we haven't even talked about like Alex Rocco, you mentioned Mo Green, like, and Joe Santos, like the Rockford Files is one of the probably top three TV shows of all time for me. I just right, love right. that show. And he was so pivotal in that show. Um, you've got, uh, yeah, Alex Rocco. So I don't know if you know this story, but Alex Rocco, what was he born? He was born... Well, I joke and I jokingly said, and you know that you catch you caught onto that. But for those that don't know, I was jokingly saying in the introduction that is Mo Green, yeah, uh, from The Godfather, who plays uh, uh, Jimmy Scalise. I mean, honestly, I, I only know him as Mo Green. Yeah. Okay. Right. So here it is. Here, <laughs> this is actually, this is actually some, some backstory for us. I, I I thought this was like hot goss, but this is apparently this is also in his IMDb bio, which I'm just reading for the first time. So he was born Alessandro Federico Petricone Jr. Uh, to Italian in in 1936 to Italian immigrants in Cambridge, Mass. He grew up as a member of Boston's Winter Hill Gang. Wow. Oh, so he's which legit, is, man. Which is Whitey Bulger's That's gang. Whitey right. Bulger, yeah. So he did that and uh, he was, yeah. So he's taken in by cops or FBI because he was suspected in a murder. Jesus. And, 
And then he, he was like, fuck that. I'm out of here. He moved to L.A. And no one else from his hometown ever saw him again until he was Mo Green in, like, the biggest movie of all time. <laughs> that's, a, that's a way to hide out. And that so the greatest story I've heard. And, and they, they, they filmed this movie. And, well, uh, speaking of Whitey Bulger, um, this, so, like, uh, on the, the commentary that Peter Yates does, um, they uh, – they don't actually mention Whitey Bulger by name, but they talk about a friend. And I think it's like code. You're like friends of Eddie Coyle. Eddie Coyle doesn't have any friends. He has other guys that do criminal shit that he knows. But uh, so they had a friend that, um, well, first of all, Mitchum talked to three cops when he first got to Boston. And from his conversation with the cops, that's where he developed his accent. And they brought in guys from the FBI to make the bank robbing real because the bank robbing ro robbery scenes are very real. Like they have the guy, they get the guy at home, the manager at home, and they hold his wife hostage while they take him to rob the bank. With and them. those and those fucking masks that they wear. Yeah, are I'm, the first, the, I'm glad you brought those out. Awesome. Like, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that is uh, they're fantastic. Those masks are scary. Yeah, they're scary. But, but also, Robert Mitchum was pals, buddy buddy with Whitey Bulger while they were making this movie. Jesus Christ! Like like he like he was getting advice from Whitey Bulger on what it was what it was like in the criminal underworld of Boston. So, so you got that, and then of course, uh, so they come to do the filming, and all of uh, Alex Rocco's buddies are in the Teamsters because of course they are. <laughs> and so, and so all these like old, uh, uh, tough bastards from Boston are coming up and patting them on the back and like, Hey, Bobo, right. Cause his nickname was Bobo. So they're, they're like, Hey, our old buddy came back kind of thing. And yeah, I'm sure he was kind of terrified for probably half the filming of this. Movie. I can't, I cannot imagine. I mean, that that's, <laughs> Imagine being on that set too, with all these yeah. all these tough dudes. Whitey Bulger's there. Whitey Bulger like, <laughs> is on set. That that's, yeah, totally. that's it's terrifying to me. That's why there feels like a, a a real serious level of authenticity to the film. And I put that like the cars, the scenery, the music, the clothes, just the feel and the ambiance of what's created when they go and do yeah. the heist or the bank robberies. Like it feels legitimately real. It feels. Yeah not over dramatized for film, but like it's actually happening almost in a, not a documentary style, but just, it feels like it's, it's visceral. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And it is, it is, it is like a very like handheld style and, and lots of long shot, excuse me, lots of long shots. And uh, it's just a very engaging style of filmmaking. And, and it's, it doesn't feel super cinematic. It feels like tight and controlled and it feels like you're meant to be there. Yeah, and, it does. You know, it, following it, it, this car or hanging out with these guys in a bar or whatever. Like, it, it feels very close and personal, this movie. And the real big opening, and and, and we, it's hard, like Alan mentioned, to kind of go through it. But basically, they've been tracking or uh, kind of looking, tracking down this bank president. And they're, they're kind of following his every footstep. And then they end up in his house. And then they take him and they, they basically kidnap him and, and take him to the bank to get the money at the vault and then they threaten his family and so that's the first of the heists or the quote-unquote bank robberies yeah so desmond have you read the novel 
Uh, yeah, I read the novel. I mean, I think I was like 12. Okay, so, so it's like, been I, a minute. I, yeah, I, I don't really remember much about I mean, other than the fact that it is very similar to this movie. Okay, because I was going to ask similar. how loyal it is and, <clears throat> and how closely they follow it. So uh, Very, and and I, I mentioned that scene at the, at the coffee shop, at the diner or whatever, but like, I don't want to say most, but a shit ton of the dialogue from this movie is ripped right from the book. I know that for a fact. Because I'd, I'd seen it probably twice or three times before I read the novel. And then I read the novel and watched the movie right after. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. This is all from the right, novel. Right, right. So, yeah. yeah. The, uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, we talked about it. The, the writing is just fantastic. The characters are fantastic. One of my favorite characters and one of my favorite stories kind of told as this, as this vignette is, um, is Jackie Brown, the gun running, the gun running kid. Like yeah. this kid, from the very first interaction that he has with Robert Mitchum, uh, to the point where he is actually trying to buy the machine guns and and the intelligence he uses as he's getting... Cause he, he feels a setup coming on. So he figures yeah. out a way that he can kind of get out of the situation and still get the guns and still make good on the deal. Uh, and then, obviously, the interaction with the hippies. I mean, he was my favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah, he's he's great because he's, he's like hippie age, but you know that he never had time for that because he was... A uh, uh, little shit street kid, tough guy who who blew big. But I, I love that scene where he's buying the M16s and he points the gun at the kid. He says, "You go up there on foot." Yeah. And he's like, "Why?" He's like, "Cause I want the moonlight." No, because I don't want to walk up there <laughs> with a bunch of guys with M16s. Well, they know I have money. <laughs> bring yeah, them up. Bring them out here. Street intellect is like next level. Yeah. And and for and and you almost wonder if he's just a little bit juvenile and like when he's talking to Mitchum. And I say Mitchum, Robert Mitchum's character. But when he's talking to him, it almost feels like he's in over his head. And then he gets into this scenario where he's with the kid buying the M16s and he's legit. He's got street smarts and he understands how to operate that shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, even, yeah, it's great. He, he puts the floodlight on and then he dives down off of the off of the road into the embankment or the ditch and just pointing the gun. And like it, it, he he knows his shit. At but the but very he still he still honors the deal, too. At that point, he's sure. got the upper hand. He could have bailed, but he yeah. still honors the deal. He gives him the money, even the intelligence yeah. he shows when he's when he's supposed to sell the hippies, the guns in the parking lot. I mean, yeah. he, get, he gets pinched for it, but he tr- he knows how to look for a setup. So yeah. he knows to watch out and, and what to do. I'm going to camp out here for two hours and see what cars are, are gone. Yeah. And so how, how great is that parking lot scene, by the way? Like it's it's like this isn't an action movie, but like that's the moment where you're like, oh, yeah, the guy that directed this did direct Bullet. About Peter Yates, who directed the film, which I've never seen any of the films except Bullet. OK, yeah. The McQueen film. So I don't I wasn't familiar with any of his other work. You haven't seen Crawl? It, uh-uh. I'm I've a big seen, I'm a big crawl apologist. <laughs> I I know the film, but I've never seen it. And the only one I've seen is Bullet, and I and I'm a Steve McQueen fan, so right. Uh, but but other than that, like I hadn't seen Crawl, which is crazy. Yeah, uh, well, actually, thinking I gotta go see Crawl. I think I think you do. I actually defended Thor: The Dark World. Uh, by saying, I don't know, I just loved like the space opera feel of it. And, you know, you have all these like dark elf minions who just get gunned down with lasers. And, and I'm like, I'm like, I love it, man. It's like crawl. And I can't remember who I was arguing with. And they're like, you liked it because it was like crawl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't know what you're talking about when you mentioned crawl, but I, I just pulled it up on IMDb. And yeah, I've, I've heard of this movie. I've never okay. seen it, but if, uh, 
I've not heard good things about it. It's fun. It's not a great movie, but right. it's fun. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's that one that everyone loves, or you have some kind of nostalgic attachment to it. And it sounds like that's part of Desmond's nostalgic attachment. And now I need to watch it though. Cause yeah. I, I haven't ever seen it all the way. It's through. fun. You know, it's part of that sword and sorcery era, you know, Conan and, uh, I'm not against those. Beastmaster. Alan only watches horror films. Alan? <laughs> I, I, okay, I'm not going to lie. I have a hard time getting out of my little thing. Like when I, I make, a, I've, I've started making a list of movies when it's my turn to choose, and the majority of them are horror or horror adjacent. And I'm trying to get, I've, I've got a couple though, Gabe, that I'll run by you at some point, but I've got, a, <laughs> I'm finally inching my way out of there. It takes a little pushing though. I'm trying. I'm trying the best I can. Uh, but but Alan's, Alan's actually, he's, he's, he stretched. I mean, I love horror films too, but not to the degree that maybe Alan does or, or you do. Um, but he's stretching my limits in the horror genre. All right. We're, That's good. We're going to, uh, we're going to push your limits big time at some point. Um, make an acolyte out of well, it. Well, I think with Martyrs, <laughs> Martyrs you, you drew me. You yeah. That was right out of the gate. That was right when I joined the show too. I was like, all right, we're watching Martyrs, man. We'll, we'll see how yeah. much you can take. Martyrs is tough. Martyrs yeah. is tough. It's yeah. tough. Um, <laughs> but obviously we got to talk and we, we kind of have touched on it. We've got to talk about the bank robbers because yeah. they're kind of like throughout this whole film, they're kind of in the background. And you don't really know what the connection is and why they keep flashing back to these guys. Um, and you barely see them without masks on in the movie. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And even, I, I mean, you even, and I maybe it's just the masks, but they seem extremely sinister. Uh, yes. With the first bank president, when they're letting him go, you kind of get the sense that they're going to shoot him in the back as he's walking away. Like, yeah. it's real. it really is intense as he's walking blindfolded away from the car. Um and that's why. And then when they show that they honor their deal, like they honor the, uh, what they promised him, that they'll let him go and they'll let his family go. When you see them kill someone later on, it's a little bit more uh, in contrast to what you've kind of come to believe about these yeah. guys because they so nonchalantly kill this dude to press the alarm and then kind of shrug it off. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I they, that I loved that scene too when they let him go. I know it's it's. Just the way they filmed it, I mean, the execution by Peter Yates, it's so good because they let him go and they say, walk forward, and they give him the instructions. We're going to roll the window down, point a gun at you. You keep walking forward, count to 100. 100, yeah, count to 100 slowly. Yeah, I just think it's so well done. And then what I loved editorially, and, and Alan, you can appreciate this. You're an editor. So it's like he's walking forward. You see the POV shot of his feet, and then you're, you're anticipating that you're going to see the car still there pointing the gun at him but when they do cut back to the master shot it's just empty and he's by himself in this in this bay area in boston and he's just sitting in the weeds i love that little scene i thought it was so good i i know uh that it's not proper criticism to discuss what you wished happened in a movie uh <laughs> but i always fall into that trap and i've seen this movie what 12 maybe 15 times and every single time i just kind of wish that he just keeps walking and then hits that barricade 
and falls into the water. I was half expecting something along those lines. That's so funny. And and then the bank robbers just laugh and drive away. Like, (laughs) like that's that's what I want. I know it's not coming, but that's what I want every time. I'm not even joking. That's funny. And you've seen this film way more times than you. I thought the exact. (laughs) I've thought it every time I've seen the movie, even though I know full well it doesn't happen. Yeah. That's the the uh, the kind of uh, the mind shift or the the they get your mind thinking that this is going to happen and then they pull away to that master and he's just he turns around and pulls yeah. the blindfold off. But I thought the same thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and so again, that's when the violence happens. It, it's pretty it's pretty surprising. Yeah. Um, although you can see it, it's going to happen. Like you know, it's going to happen. But honestly, they could have done that thing that they do in a lot of movies where one bystander does something stupid, and then all hell breaks loose. But right. instead, they know exactly what they're going to do. They kill the guy, they put everyone else in the vault, and they get out of there. Like, it's very yeah. organized. They planned it. They've probably done it before. So, uh, again, it doesn't do that that trope. Well, now it's a trope. I don't know if it was back then, where everything goes to shit. Like, they just, right. it's very, I don't want to call it realistic, but it feels real, like we've talked about. It, it absolutely does. I mean, you got the FBI and Whitey Bulger uh, in... <laughs> Who's not mentioned by name, by the way, in the commentary, but just <laughs> a, a friend from the other side, I believe they call him. Uh, you, you know, like uh, giving you tips on how to rob a bank, and and y- Yates like says, you know, like they filmed in real banks. Um, th- that's a real bar. I mean, they're obviously is that the Boston Garden? I don't know sports. Is that yeah. the Boston Garden yeah. where they watch? That was the old where Boston Garden yep. Bruins game. Uh, so like they really all filmed there, and uh, and he's like, he's like, uh, I didn't know. He's like, I didn't think they'd let us film in a real bank, especially because what we were doing was so real. And did they tell them who would be on set as well? Yeah. Right, exactly. And, and they're like, well, you know, you know, the, the time lock goes off at a special special time every day. And like, that's something I don't think was that was ever in a movie before this. Right. And right. probably not a lot since, uh, because I think like people really take to the the point break model of bank robbery in movies these days where no one goes for the vault. Don't go for the vault. That's stupid. Right. <laughs> You're going to pull me off on a side tangent if we start talking about Point Break. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I do, I, I do unironically love that movie too. I was just going to say the same thing, so I don't want to go too far into the movie. <laughs> well, we're going to have to add that one to the list too because I haven't seen that one since I was probably, I don't know, 15, 16, or whenever it came out. So it's yeah, been a I'm minute. Nostalgically attached to the film, so well, we don't it's been a minute. Too, yeah. Too <laughs> and any any movie where Anthony Kiedis blows his foot off with a magnum is <laughs> Mwah, chef's kiss. Uh, and then uh, I guess the final, uh, unless I'm forgetting one, and I, I very well may be, but the final, I guess, storyline, it's not really storyline, but character who we mentioned before is Peter Boyle. Right. And uh, the whole time I was, I didn't understand what the hell his deal was. Like he's friends. I was with- going to ask you guys the same thing, Alan. I was in Desmond as the the veteran uh, uh, viewer of this film. I was going to ask the same thing. I was confused on his placement within the overarching narrative, in some sense. Like I right. was. Does he own the bar? Right. No. Okay. So no, he does not. I, I couldn't tell when he's talking mm. with the cop and he says, "Well, I have a liquor license," and the cop says, "You work for a guy who has a liquor license." I right. couldn't tell if they were being cagey. 
or if he really does just work at the at the bar right his the bar i think and his whole persona is a front it's i don't know I, i'm not gonna fully spoil something but it's this is a, you can spoil it's, it's okay. a okay okay it's a 50 year old movie but um yes, exactly. uh so i i think like the film is trying to portray him as another trope uh the the guy who looks the other way and has these criminals meeting in his bar um and just allows it to happen and uh and of course he's shady uh, but also, I mean, we, we learn that it's, uh, right. We learn it's his truck that Mitchum was arrested. Yeah. For, because right? ri- Mitchum right. does say that it, you know, I did that job for you and he, yeah. he got, he got busted doing the job for him. Well, no, yeah. He says something like that's, that's a funny thing coming from you or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's also getting 20 bucks a week from the FBI. Right. <laughs> Breaking the bank. Like really bringing in the heavy money, man. They hey, really, man. they really Tw- pressing the, the the taxpayers for that one. Twenty yeah. bucks, twenty bucks a week in nineteen seventy three is not bad, though. That's true. <laughs> good point. That's a good point. Just for inflation, it's a little more. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> so, so he's he's a straight up informant, then. That's how I understand it, but I think Desmond could probably articulate it better. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, he, you know, because actually, we don't even know that uh, what's his name. Uh, Richard Jordan mm-hmm. is is a cop at the beginning. Like he's just he's just another scummy dude, right? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I never knew when that first conversation where they're in the plaza and and he's just talking and they get that he he slides in that twenty. I thought he exactly. I I thought he was another criminal. Well, they were talking. Yeah. They kept he kept talking about the grand jury and again the dialogue is kind of you know it's pretty it's pretty speedy. So I was I was kind of struggling to keep up. But I, at that point I'm like I wasn't sure. I was like, is he a cop? Because he's kind of talking like he's outside of this this criminal world. I was unsure. I thought he was just another criminal, well, underground kind of Boston gangster. Yeah, I mean, and when he's meeting with Mitchum at the the covered area of the playground, there, like it, like it almost sounds like they're playing it as Mitchum is asking him to go and uh, uh, kill the AD, the, the or uh, assistant district attorney. I think is is. Who they're who they're talking about there or judge or something like that you know i want you to go go talk to your my friend the judge up north or whatever and anytime that ever happens in the movie it means go kill him right. you, know, you know or, right. or go or go strong arm him or something but uh it's literally just this cop talking to these crooks trying to get trying to get these you know hints on uh who they can take down they just don't understand that peter boyle's character is much more than uh, a scummy uh, bar owner. He's, you know, he's like a legit assassin. <laughs> and, uh, is, this, is this also, and I'm trying to remember, is this also where we find out that Eddie's name is Eddie Fingers or is that someone different? Because he says something about Eddie, like remember Eddie Fingers? I know this just from uh, watching on Amazon and they have the characters' names in uh when you pause it or whatever, yeah. When right. you pause yeah. it, uh, yeah. and so he's he's listed as Eddie Fingers Coil. Yeah. So that's the okay. only so reason I know for sure. So we get in, we know his. Okay, right. that's but, what I was trying to figure out too. I was like, who the hell is Eddie? For a second, it must be Eddie. But I was like, Eddie Fingers yeah. is, is 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 there a more conventional? <laughs> is there a more conventional name than Eddie Fingers? I mean, <laughs> that's like the most. Well, mild. they're well, they're making fun of him. Okay, it was a because of okay. his extra knuckles. 
Is yeah, that why? Be, 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 because it goes back he, to that. Yeah. Yeah, because they because they broke it. They broke all his fingers, right? I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's great. I like the tie in. Yeah. I didn't see it because like even still, you watch this movie. Oh, it's Robert Mitchum. He's leagues beyond anyone else in the movie as far as being a movie star. So it's like, oh yeah, he's he's the big he's the big guy. No, he's not. He's just this little intermediary guy who's in some trouble and people don't really respect him that much. Which is 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 really uh, a bummer. In in most like mob movies or something, the person who doesn't rat is usually glorified and and kind of held up as a hero. And right. in this, they're kind of like, well, you know, you knew the you knew the the price of doing this, and he didn't rat on them, and that's why he's going to jail, and no one else is. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what makes that uh, that last scene with uh, with uh, the cop so fucking profound. <laughs> and God, how unlikable is that cop? Oh, it's great. He's he's a great villain. Just he so is, good. Like I hate him with a passion watching him because <laughs> yeah. after uh after eddie you know he, he he goes out of his way you know he helps him uh catch a, a some dude and doesn't stick up for him he he really yeah. doesn't he, he asks for more and then when he finally decides to give him more to give him his friends you guys like, yeah, it's too late man there's nothing i could do for you which basically yeah. like he's screwing him over big time i just i i despise him with the passion yeah yeah there's, I mean, as for a film full of villains, I mean, the, the, that cop is, you know, you can make a good argument for him being the actual villain of the of the film because he's bringing these guys together with these machinations that will eventually lead to the, the well, the death of plenty of them or jail for all of them or something. You right. know that there's he's or I mean, it's not really he's not really trying to orchestrate it, but he's playing, you know, he's hunting down this gun runner and then he's uh he's got two separate informants that don't know that they're both informing to the same cop and then he's trying to find these bank robbers and it's just it's just this you know what a wicked web we weave or whatever right, right? <laughs> i do love the line he gives when he busts the bank robbers in the kitchen yeah and he walks in behind him he goes april fool's motherfucker yeah like, <laughs> i know like, right i loved it it was so yeah. cool <laughs> yeah it's great it's it's almost like something you'd expect to see in Four Brothers or something. It's yeah, a very, it's a very it's a very modern moment. Right, right. right. Yeah. yeah, and just the, the little smile on his face and the deliveries, I just thought was excellent. So yeah. Um, so I and I know I know we're kind of in a little bit of a, a time crunch here because you got to oh, get yeah. going. But um, <laughs> I, I guess unless unless there's anything I'm missing because well, well there's one thing I want to mention about a couple of because this film is so driven and as, as we've kind of mentioned, driven by the characters and the acting. And there's obviously plot points that kind of go through the film, but like you're so kind of intermixed between this line of action going on and this line of action going on. And then the gun sling, the, you know, the kid that's trying to, 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 to sling guns and the, and then you got Eddie's character, but I have to mention that you have, uh, you have uh, James, uh, James Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, oh right. yes. Of course. Uh, yes. I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't let me forget him. Slacker. I just didn't want you to forget him because you're slacker, McFly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I had to bring it up. <laughs> I'm so glad because I mean it's he's always gonna be. I can't remember what what the principal's name was in Back to the Future, but he's always gonna be him. As soon as I saw that, that was the first thing that came to mind. Always. Yeah. yeah. It's Strickland, right? Strickland. Yes. That's right. Nose to yeah. nose with Marty. 
calling him a slacker. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's great. It's great. So and, this and- film is just inundated with cameos or, or guest stars appearances. Mo green. Yeah, absolutely. Rickling. Like everybody's just, and then of course, like, so I, I had to bring that up, but I'm, I'm glad. And, and he's great too. Like he's got this look like, uh, I don't know. He, he looks like just this total complete psychopath. You know, he's got this weird look. He, he reminds me of, uh, oh, Christ, uh, uh, shit, the Nazi from Marathon Man. That's, ex- oh, okay. Which one, from which movie? The Marathon Man. Uh, oh, okay. Fuck. When I Why can't saw- I remember? He's like, he's a super famous actor. <laughs> when I first saw Tolkien, I was like, where do I know him? And I was trying to pinpoint where, he, yes. where I knew him from. It was, I knew, and then it came to me, Strickland. But I also thought he was the, and I forget his name, but the lead Nazi from uh, Indiana Jones. Oh, right. Yeah, oh, that's shit. Yeah, that's right. For, for a yeah. brief second, I thought, is that looks- him? And then I was like, no, that's Strickland. It's when he spoke. That's when I was like, that's Strickland. Yeah, it's, it's Strickland. yeah, yeah. totally. But l- let the cinephiles out there know that uh, your mockery is very welcome because I couldn't come up with fucking Lawrence Olivier, for Christ's sake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but like the sniveling, bald, uh, sort of pork pie hat wearing Nazi with with yes. little little wire rim glasses. Oh. I think I think was pretty popular for about ten years. Just there. that weaselly <laughs> little that weaselly little voice too. Just yeah, still gets me to this day. Um, so so yeah, well, let's let's uh, kind of Desmond. We'll start with you. Let's have you kind of just. Um, Give your thoughts, your kind of summary, and then one one thing, one thing before we jump into that, Alan, tell us, and I don't care about spoilers because, like Desmond said, <laughs> this film's 40, 50 years old. Tell us how the movie. Let's do a quick summary on the the movie ending, and then we'll get into those ratings. I just want to kind of get through the narrative to the end and how it ends, and get your guys' impressions and thoughts on how you felt when it ended. Good point. Go ahead, Desmond. If you're oh, oh, if you're good. sure, well. Uh, just to say what the ending is we're going right in we don't right. we're not holding okay. back any spoilers well uh i mean i you know i mentioned the cop was the villain but i guess i guess peter boyle is sort of the underground low-key villain because uh at the end of the film um he meets uh strickland <laughs> i can't remember the character's <laughs> name they all work for the man right and no one knows who that is and anonymous we're, man. We're, ne- we're never told who he is doesn't matter but he's he's a pretty bad guy and james tolkien and- is actually credited <clears throat> as the man's contact man right yeah <laughs> right it's a it's a great name yeah it's a great name for a character um can i say when he got the script and that's what the character said <laughs> yeah He's like, wait a minute, what? Who am I? I don't even have a name. (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, so James Tolkien is hiring um, Dylan, the bartender, Peter Boyle, to kill Eddie Coyle because they believe that Eddie Coyle ratted out his buddies, which he was actively trying to do. That's that's a good point because we do feel bad for him, but he actually was trying to do it. Yeah. And then Peter Boyle's like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Uh, I want my money though. But under, under the radar, it's Peter Boyle that ratted on the, on the bank robbers. And so he's just, just, you know, cleaning his hands of everything and walking away, you know, scot free, totally fine. So uh, not only, uh, not only, did uh did his ratting work out but also the only guy that can say hey i actually didn't rat is now dead so 
Uh, but you did it in a, in a nice way. Honestly, if someone's going to kill me, you want to take me out to a hockey game, get me a bunch yeah, of beer. Exactly. Drunk. Yeah, shoot <laughs> shoot me in the back of the head while I'm passed out. That's Is there any? Is there a better way to die than that? <laughs> I mean, no probably. <laughs> yeah, no no pain whatsoever. No pain, straight black. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I think like literally there there was a bit of respect there. And I think like that that was that moment where it is abrupt when he kills him. But I I think in Dylan's head, he's like, well, he's out. He's passed out. Now's the time. Now, there there was like a wax statue of Robert Mitchum that I think they were going to do like a gory kill with. But we don't see that. We just see the bullet hit the window. Right. That's what so, I, I kind of liked and appreciated about it. Like seeing it for the first time, I thought, whoa, all of a sudden uh, Eddie's gone. But they did it like once again. It wasn't glorifying that over the top violence. I liked the idea of just kind of seeing the windshield or the the glass shatter. Yeah, like and and I I don't think it's like a huge surprise. I mean, it's a surprise. I think how uh, how it all unfolds with Dylan yeah. and, and all that. But I mean, I think you know Eddie Coyle was doomed from the beginning of this movie. Absolutely, there was, I just, it was I, pure I did, nihilism. I think it seems so friendly at first and then all of a sudden uh, out of nowhere in the back of the car, that's where it ended. I, you, you figured it was going to end at some point, but uh, I wasn't quite sure for me as a first time viewer, I thought, Hey, uh, it seemed to, in that moment in the car seemed abrupt. And I kind of liked the little bit of shock value, not to the idea of his death, but to the idea of how it happened so quickly. Yeah. Uh, funny story about that. Uh, Trina, I think is her name. Uh, Trina Mitchum, Robert Mitchum's daughter was on set uh while robert mitchum had was like dating two stewardesses and who, ha who happened to show up of course he was yeah of course he was uh but uh <laughs> the the moment they called peter boyle to do that scene uh which was the last scene that he filmed uh he got up and he looked at her and they were all like smoking pot in the trailers and stuff and he's like, hey, little girl, I'm going to go splatter your daddy's brains all over the windshield. <laughs> I can hear him say that, too. Yeah. I, yeah. Can, I can hear that in his voice. <laughs> and they were all just drunken stone maniacs, too. Like, I, you know, Mitchum was a, a legendary alcoholic. So he yeah. was he was drunk by lunchtime every every day, basically. Well, I, I was going to say when he played when he's drunk, you know, leaving the hockey game, before he's like passed out drunk, he it it feels very legitimate. Like yeah, it's, for sure. Uh, I think it'd be hard to to play intoxicated as an actor, but I guess if you got that much experience, it's it's second nature to you. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know it's nine o'clock at night and you're fourteen bourbons and twenty two Budweiser in. It's it's definitely not hard to <laughs> to act drunk, right? No. <laughs> Imagine going to work, getting able to get blitzed and just getting paid tons of money for it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's American and dream actually, right there. Actually, at that hockey game, he uh, got into a fight with a cinematographer who got too close. <laughs> of course. Seriously, got too close with him with a camera. So he took one of those cups of beer and threw it right at him and all over the camera and everything. Oh, and, my God. Uh, can't remember who it is. Oh, it's 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 it's, it's in a Rolling Stone article, and someone tells. I think it was Peter Boyle, who said, "Yeah, it's a good thing cinematographer backed away because if he was within arm's reach, Mitchum would have thrown him off the balcony." <laughs> Jesus, man, these uh these old time Hollywood actors, man, they knew how to do it back then. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. 
Okay, let's uh, let, let's hear your, your I, final I, thoughts. One thing, Alan, oh yeah, no, you're good. Uh, yeah, sorry. This, this is usually Gabe's job to kind of guide this, so I'm kind of no, 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 I'm no, jumping on to... I'm jumping the gun here. No, we're <laughs> we're not jumping the gun. You're absolutely on point. I just wanted to say the last scene is the two of them in that plaza, and he yeah. says, "Have a nice day." Yeah. That's the That's so yeah, Peter Boyle and, and uh, I forget his name. What's the character? What's uh, the name? Rob, Richard Jordan. Richard, Richard Jordan. Thank Richard you. Jordan. The actor, uh, Richard yeah. Jordan. Peter Boyle and he, and Richard Jordan says, "Have a nice day." And they were in not cahoots, but they had been. You knew they were friends the whole time and kind yeah. of. Yeah. And uh, I just like that last line. Like, have a nice day. That's it. It's great. Well, I mean, all the betrayal that's been going on every you know by by both the cop and Peter Boyle, like it doesn't affect them. You know, it's just, it's just it's yeah. part of their life. They just split ways and keep going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So next, next gig. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and just that moment where Mitchum says, "I can get you the the guys that robbed those banks," and uh, and he just looks at him and says, "Well, you know, Eddie, uh, I'd have been really into that yesterday." And he just flips yeah. over the news, flips over the newspaper. But we got them last night. Right? And he says it in such a condescending, snarky oh, yeah. way too. Oh, I just yeah. want to elbow him through the teeth. <laughs> and and then and then at that moment, like he's just sitting there with his bourbon uh at at the table and you just know like it's over for him it's completely yeah. over like you, how many characters get that low in a movie not many but he th that was it right yeah Absolutely. so sorry i just wanted to bring that up but you're up alan go ahead take over the show <laughs> I, i'm trying to do your job here gabe i'm not i'm not doing a great all job right. but uh all right desmond <laughs> let's hear let's hear kind of your summary and what you would rate it out of 10 well, uh, it's it's a unique crime film, I think, in that it's not built on uh, shock or violence or, um, yeah, I guess shock and violence. I guess it's not. It's it's built on character. There's plenty of tension. Those bank robbing scenes are excellent, just full attention. Uh, but it's built on tension. It's built on character. It's got a wicked jazz score, um, and it's just. It's so engaging and it's slowly paced, but it moves along at a clip. I even still today, I, I, I watched it again. I looked down. I'm like, fuck, it's been on for 45 minutes. I can't believe it. This movie's been going for 45 minutes and it just, it just moves at such a quick clip and it leaves you. So, uh, I don't know, like, well, it leaves me so delighted at the end. It's just a truly beautiful little crime film. That's, completely unique actually you know like like no movie had been like this before and i don't think there's been a movie like it since yeah i i agree what would you uh rate it if you had to give it a rating out of 10 oh we'd like to go to the 10th uh percentile so you know put that extra decimal on there all right well Every let's point. say uh okay let's say uh i don't want to be the guy that's like well it's a 10 out of 10 it is one of my favorite movies you, so, you can definitely do that because well, uh, my girlfriend Jess was on this show and she gave So I Married an Axe Murderer a 10. So, so you, <laughs> nice. you're totally good. Man. <laughs> Whoa, man. Whoa, man. God damn She's going to be so that, happy that, that just, you just did that. <laughs> that is that is stuck in my head for, what, 30 years at this point? Um, yeah. yeah, so let's say I'll give it a... Uh, I'll give it nine Lugers and one Magnum. How about that? <laughs> Ooh, nice. That's great. That's fantastic. All right. I'm I'll, I I would say, or do you wanna you wanna go, Gabe? Yeah, I'm gonna let you you round you gonna let Man, you I'm round. I'm getting your, your full duties tonight. I like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I've passed the baton, baby. I've been promoted. <laughs> <laughs> um the the odds are I'll keep passing the baton because you'll do ten <laughs> times better than me. No, I doubt that. I doubt that. So uh, you know, the thing I, I almost I feel regret 
for not having known this movie before. <laughs> um, this is a really good film. And like I mentioned in the intro, for me, love the 70s Americana films with the kind of gangster touch with French Connection, Serpico, Godfather, Taxi Driver, all those things. Yeah. And for not having known this film, watching it going, man, it holds up to those, in my opinion. It's that good of a film. It really fits into that into that category amongst those other ones that you think about. So I really love that. I'm glad that uh, Desmond was able to introduce it to us. Um, for me, as I was watching it, definitely. And as Alan knows, Desmond, I always kind of rate based on a rewatchability. Sure. So, can I rewatch this thing? And the answer is absolutely for me. Yes. Cause it fits into my wheelhouse. So first off, thanks for introducing me to the film because uh, I will definitely rewatch it. I'm going to go with, uh, it's definitely something everybody should see. I think uh, Robert Mitchum is fantastic. It's fun to see Peter Boyle and the other characters yeah. that you mentioned. I'm going to go with a 8.7 fingers. <laughs> Ooh, that's, good. that's really good, man. I thought you were going to go machine guns. Um <laughs> All right, I'm going to, uh, I'll keep this Alan, quick. round us out with IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. Do you have that? Okay, there? yes, I do, actually. Uh, so, IMDb, it is rated at a 7.5 out of 10. So That's, res that's respectable for it, IMDb. For IMDb, yeah. it is, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics, 100%. Crazy. Only 27 reviews, but still, that's 100%. And when do critics agree on anything? Uh, yeah, audience wow. score 88. That's actually really, really good. Yeah, it I is. Mean, of course, it's 100, but I, I don't think we've ever seen 100. I don't think we have. Critic. I don't think we have. In 30 plus podcasts, and I know, like we mentioned this before, uh, Desmond, we're, we're only 650 behind you. <laughs> <laughs> but in 30 plus podcasts, I've never seen 100%. So audience wow. score is 88%. So that's still great, too. Uh, and not a lot of audience ratings for this either. It's uh, 1,422. Uh, and <laughs> so usually you'd think a movie this old would have a lot more than that. So uh, I think we're not alone in not being super familiar with this film. Uh, if you would have asked me what I would rate it before the ending, I probably would have said somewhere mid sixes just because I was a little confused about everything and and we were so close to the end and i didn't feel like we were going to get answers for for right. anything yeah but at the ending it kind of everything made sense and i started to understand the character's motivations a lot more it bumped it up a lot I, i'm gonna go 7.2 years in the big house <laughs> um so yeah that, I, I mean it, it's a great movie and again i echo gabe sentiments thanks for introducing this to us yeah, uh, that that makes me extra happy knowing that uh, I can introduce this classic to you guys because uh, I love this movie. And, and now we've introduced it to our 21 listeners. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Go I don't know watch what the it. Is. Yeah. We're just making it up. <laughs> uh, and before Gabe takes us out, uh, Desmond, real quick, I know you got to run, but uh, tell us where we can find your stuff. Uh, podcast stuff at dreadmedia.com. Uh, new episode every week. Um, I don't know. I I have desmondreddick.com, but I haven't used it in years. Uh, I should probably start doing that again. But uh, yeah, my novel Mother of Abominations uh, is on Amazon. So if you like giant monsters fucking things up and uh, I don't know, Irish Republican Army related stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so check that out. And uh, I'm just stoked 
uh, you guys invited me. Uh, I hope I can come back sometime. Oh, dude, absolutely. yeah. It was a lot of fun. You, you pick good movies, too, so I'm definitely down. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're choosing f uh, films like uh, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, uh, you're always welcome on this podcast. Well, the, the next one will be Crawl. No. <laughs> <laughs> no That's great. I'll, I'll, I'll wait until I don't want to come back and yeah. choose that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, look, everybody, it's been a blast, and Desmond, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And go check out Desmond's work uh, at the aforementioned websites uh, and definitely at Dread Media Podcast. This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Go check us out at tameaperture.com and uh, look for previous episodes and also give us uh, suggestions on future episodes. This is uh, Gabe, Allen, and Desmond signing off for the Tame Aperture Podcast. Take care, everybody. The Tame Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.